Right, so um, this is a podcast called Hoarding Stuff, or Hoarding Stuff, depending on which ear you're listening to it with. And I'm Heather Matuazzo. I am the founder and director of Clouds NCIC, which is the first social enterprise to work with people who have hoarding issues. And um, I'm joined today by David, who I'll let introduce himself. Hello, my name's David, and um, I've been going through a process of what would be considered to be decluttering, uh, because I live in a hoarding house. Um, sometimes there's debate about whether you should use the word hoarding or not, uh, but I also have um, organisational problems of dealing with the stuff that I have and where it should go. Thank you. So it's, it's been a while now since I've, I've been uh, dealing with it. Great. Well, we often have conversations and so we thought we'd capture some of those conversations that because we thought other people might mm. like to listen to them and gain from, uh, in, well, actually, it's going to be David's in, in, in infinite wisdom. Um, uh -huh. So we thought we'd look, at, <laughs> we thought we'd look at some, some sayings and phrases that every time I hear something that I think might help someone, mm. then I jot it down. So today, the phrase that we're looking at is... You can't get what you want because of what you've already got. So this is this is from your your notebook of wisdom. Your, uh, <laughs> yes, but it's book. not my wisdom. It's acquired. It's other people's. Yeah, yeah. So other people's wisdom that we're going to unpick and see if we can Excellent. use it to the benefit of those that listen. Standing on the shoulders of giants, I believe, is the is the term. Well, I need that because I'm very short anyway. So, <laughs> so um, what do you think? It means you, you've, you've got the saying. How do you feel that it, it works for well, people I, that have hoarding? So I just thought about it for me, and mm -hmm. first of all, and I thought, well, it, it, it can be very true because if you are considering a new job, for example, but you already have one, you might not like that job, but mm. the fear of approaching, maybe becoming self-employed rather than being employed, Mm. Uh, what gets in your way of doing that is the fact that you have got a steady job and you've got an income and it's very scary to look at an alternative. So you might want that alternative, but what you already have is stopping you. So that, that sounds pretty much like uh, risk management, that um, the uncertainty of, of essentially leaping into the void uh, stops you and makes you hesitate. Yeah. Uh, before before you do anything is that is that how you yes i think so I, but, but because you've got what you've got and it's familiar to you mm. you don't see it as a block right you sort of see okay. it as just what you're used to so if you yeah. turn that into a hoarded home where you have a lot of items that you are used to having mm. but part of you wants to reduce those items or reorganize those items or have them in a different way it is literally what you've got that's getting in your way of having what you want how much of it would you say is habit that that um you get into those patterns you get into that uh system think, of thinking well i think habit is one of our hidden um horrors really because habit can be completely invisible so yeah. bad habits are known you know biting your nails or eating cake when you're miserable and if you're miserable mm. a lot you eat a lot of cake those are habits that, that perhaps are a little bit more 
obvious to people, but other habits could be completely hidden. You're just used mm. to doing, you're just used to doing things and you don't, what, one of the examples for me was for years, I used to say, oh, you know, I'd love to have a red front door because I really like red, shiny red front doors. They're gorgeous. Okay. <laughs> and then I thought, why haven't I got a red front door? I own my own house. Nobody's stopping me from painting my front door red. I just spent a lot of time <laughs> removing myself from that possibility. So I do have mm. a front door now. As soon as I realised that, I'd moved my block. Because then when you see things, you can do things about it. I think maybe you should have called this podcast The Red Front Door. I think <laughs> that, would have been, that would have been great. Um, but there is, a, there is a kind of thing where habit is like um, that, that old saying about uh, fish and water. The fish doesn't question the water. It's it's just there. So I suppose, is that possibly the way that people see the things that they acquire? It, it's just there. And some people might zone it out. I think that that's one of the things that we kind of do here is we just uh, accept that it's there and then just try our best to move around it. And it's only when it gets to the stage where you can't move around it that you, you, you start to notice it, or even other people start to notice it. Well, that. very often it's other people that notice it for you way before you've noticed it, and mm. that can be a bone of contention um, because you might not be ready or you might not mm -hmm. be happy. But, um, that, well, it's called clutter blindness, what you just described. All um, right, okay. Because actually, physi physiologically, cluttered homes make people anxious so mm. they 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 spark their fight or flight um whatever it's called drive um, yeah yeah because the, the, and there's a real reason for this so we humans when we go into an enclosed space we're looking for um symmetry. the exits yeah the exits <laughs> so that we can find the exits now that is yeah. exactly what it is david exactly what it is and so an outsider coming into a hoarded home Mm. will have raised anxiety, which they won't know is happening because of the fight or flight. They'll just panic. And then on top of that, they might put their professional panic. And so yeah. that's yeah. why you, you know, people with hoarded homes often don't receive very nice treatment, don't get spoken to very well. But the actual person who lives in that home could not live in that heightened state of arousal. So they have to, the parts of their brain that perhaps are protecting them. And maybe the reason why they're hoarding is it comes from that protection will also protect them from not having this reaction to their own home. I mean, I, I can get very belligerent about um, stuff being going out of the house, I guess, um, because of the, 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 the lack of possibilities, but there is a definite sort of need for um, safety. You know, the fire brigade are more involved in all of this stuff now. I'm just interested in how things have changed over a period of time. So what they would normally have done in the past is they would have just cleared everything. They would have just come in and they would have taken the stuff and it would have been gone and they would probably have skipped most of it. I think that that's changed now, hasn't it? That, that there's a different yeah. approach to it now. Well, in, in, in a lot of places, there's still lots of work to be done, but, you know, the news is good rather than bad. And I do fundamentally believe that education and understanding allows people to be more understanding because well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because what 
<coughs> what happens is people react to the stuff. Yeah. And it yeah. isn't the stuff. It's not about the stuff at all. It's a strange, uh, it's a strange thing because um, it, obviously different individuals have different psychological makeup and uh, they will have different amounts of, of resistance. So myself and uh, Jane, who's my housemate, have different levels of discomfort, right? Uh, at the moment, only one person can sit in the living room and watch the telly at a time. Is, no. that, is that done on purpose so that you won't argue about... I don't, I don't have to sit with her, ever. <laughs> only one person can sit and eat their dinner in the kitchen, right? So uh, I suppose if you're a, a misanthrope and never want to see people, it's great, right? And the COVID has made it even better because nobody's coming around, really. Um, it must be very odd for people at the moment with that, with, with um, if you've got uh, support for, for decluttering, because you've done some stuff, haven't you, on, on the phone and online? Yes, I have. And because I'm doing a big project in Birmingham, um, the referrals obviously don't stop. Mm. And I love visiting people because I just like meeting new people and I'm really nosy as well, so that's great. But it, what, it, what it allowed me to do was meet people in a different way on the phone so you can still have good conversation like we have that you know yeah, good yeah. conversations on the phone and get to know somebody before you go to their house mm. um and and it's been very interesting because the covid has has provided some people with a bigger fear than the fear of letting go of their belongings right okay and they have shifted perspective so suddenly they have, because they couldn't go out, a lot of people spend a lot of time out of their hoarded uh -huh. home because they don't want to be in there. And also they're buying other stuff to bring in sometimes. Right. But when they've had to stay in and not be able to buy, but are living with the fear mm, of uh, There's, a, there's a slight difficulty with that one, isn't there? But, uh, but because so because if, if they're not buying outside, they're going to be buying online. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're online, you see a lot of people I know aren't online. Oh, yeah, right. They okay. haven't got that outlet. They haven't got oh. that. So for some people, it's been a pivotal moment. It's, you know, it isn't all doom and gloom, but for a lot of other people, it's been very, very damaging and very frightening because they're frightened on two fronts then, you know, and isolation has really got to them. So. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a big problem. And loneliness was a problem in the first place anyway, before we had the COVID. I think the best thing for me to do is take a hammer to all my computers now. So I can't get online and sit and buy things. Or you can yeah. electrocute the keyboards. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you go to Amazon, you know, you could. <laughs> I think you should have a lockout. You know, when I was little, when mm. I lived at home, little, I wasn't that little, I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, but my mum and dad had, it was the old fashioned dial phone and they bought. Oh, the, was it a lock, a lock? Yeah, yeah you could put on the, on the dial. On the phone yeah. So that we couldn't run up the bill. And um, yeah, so that worked for about two oh. weeks until we realised we could undo it with a grip. With a was it a hairpin? Yeah. A grip, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't... Social media, we all knew this fact. And so yeah. we didn't pick it and then put it back on again. And then mum yeah. and dad started to think that it was them that was making the phone how's the, how's the bill item. going up so much I don't it wasn't understand. an itemized bill then so oh, was they, it not no no it wasn't itemized so it was oh. just the bill <laughs> great times but yes yeah, oh. so maybe we could do something like that you know to stop you i mean one of the one of the things that we 
say that works for some people doing that is um, put it in the basket or put it on a wish list. Right. And, yes, and, I do that a lot as well. And, and, and then let it sink for a little bit because sometimes the desire to buy it will go or even sometimes, because I do this as well, mm-hmm. because otherwise I'd have 80 million more books than I have at the moment. Yeah. But um, I do then go back over it sometimes and go, why did I want that? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's that's very true, actually. Um, it could reduce um, that. It's a thirty to ninety. I think it's thirty to ninety seconds, depending on who you are. Where that <gasps> got to have it, got to have it, got to have it will go away. Is that how short it is? That that's really how short it is. I'm not. Wow, that is right. Really- and if and obviously if it's still there after that, then maybe you actually do want it. Yes. Uh, if it comes back into your head again and again and again, you probably did want it. Mm. But if you go. Um, oh, I like that. I like that, and I like that, and I've and you put them to one side, and then you don't think about any of them. Then mm. it was just that sort of kind of a fad. Yeah, yeah. It was just a moment of need to have it, you know. So, um, I, yeah. I mean, there's been a few books. I mean, we we did go through quite a bit of stuff that went out of the house, went to charity shops, and all of that, mainly from the loft because we had a lot of stuff in the loft, and we still have a lot of stuff in the loft. Um, but there've been a couple of books that I've gone. Oh, hold on a minute. That book about John Mortimer's life, because John Mortimer was fascinating, the guy that uh, created Rumpole. Oh, I wish I hadn't wish I hadn't got rid of that now. Oh, oh dear. Oh, oh I'll, I'll get another copy of it. And then not read it, you know. Or there was a book about um, a thing called Dunbar Numbers, which is in your life, you only know 150 people, right? It's the right. size of a village, right? And it's like, oh, I needed to know more about that, really. I mean, I could look it up online. But what if there was more detail in the book about it and I'm going to miss out? It's the fear of missing out. I'll be completely unaware of something to do with Dunbar numbers that I don't actually really need to know because nobody's ever going to ask me. <laughs> it is, well, it is. Some, I mean, some. what we try and get people to do as well is walk backwards from those thoughts. Yeah. So you've gone I might not know enough about Dunbar numbers and then take a step back from that and is why am I worried that I might not know enough about Dunbar numbers right I think it comes down to um one of my things has always been usefulness and the the skills that I've gained over a period of time personally speaking have been uh creative stuff acting and drama and all that and you kind of told well that's not really very useful is it it's not very viable, is it? What, what are you doing that for? Um, and it, my thing is communicating. And the things that I bring in are uh, information. You said earlier on, uh, when we were having a conversation before we were recording, what was the word you used? What did that, what was in, it? Info. Oh, an infomaniac. Infomaniac. Yeah. I you say. Have to say it very carefully, actually, that word. You do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Infomaniac. I couldn't be doing with the other thing. Um, yeah, an infomaniac. And I'm wanting to know, the world is an amazing place, right? And we all have these, these different bits that have a meaning for us. So whether it's, um, you mentioned somebody that liked leaflets. They love leaflets. They love the design of a leaflet. That's, for them, it's a work of art. For them, it has as much value as say um, Starry Night, right, or the Mona Lisa, or yeah. you know, it's a piece of art for them. So they're going to want to hold on to it. And 
And it seems as if it's all about the value that you place on the item. And those values kind of shift with the person. And sometimes I think that's why it's quite difficult when you have somebody in your home that doesn't quite share the same values as you um, and don't enter into the, the kind of uh, that space that you have. It's kind of like walking in somebody's shoes. They don't quite do that. Right? But I suppose you could look at that the opposite way. If they don't have the same values as you, mm. that keeps a balance because they yeah. have different values. And so the sort of the juggling act of living in the same space mm. and, you know, each respecting each other's likes and values, but also keeping a bit of a check on those. There has that to be some be pragmatism. Quite, yeah, there's got, is, it, it can be quite useful. Because if you had two people that are like, oh, shiny thing, another shiny <laughs> thing, let's have seven shiny well, things, I've got 24, then you can see how yeah. quickly that might just go a bit, you know, if you turned that into alcohol drinking rather than acquiring, right. thing, you know, you would soon be either dead or very, very drunk. So I think there's, there's got, as in life, you know, a little bit. Oh, well, there has to be some compromise as well, I guess. Yeah. But, but sometimes you find that uh, the compromise is a, is a very strange one, you know, and um, it, it's a really difficult thing to balance and I get that um, but it, it just sometimes feels as if there's not enough give you know there's not enough kind of uh, oh I can see why I can see why you would do that that specialist from America whose name shall remain <laughs> unspoken just in case he turns up you know apparently if you say his name if you say his name three times it appears <laughs> Uh, said that um, he'd got somebody that had milk bottle tops. They've been collecting milk bottle tops. And he couldn't think of a reason why he would collect milk bottle tops. And this was at the conference that I, I met you at. And I sat there and I'm thinking, I can think of 10, 10 projects off the top of my head <laughs> that he can do with milk bottle tops. Now, that, that's justification for keeping this stuff, I suppose, and it's not really helpful. But there is that kind of moment when you go, have you no imagination? <laughs> what, well, what's I, happened no, to I, you? That's it, because what you're sort of describing really is delight. So yeah. th there's a delight in finding uses for things. There's a delight in passing on information, which is what you were talking about earlier. There's, a, there's an absolute satisfaction and you feel as though you're doing something purposeful yeah. and useful in life. And, and it's absolutely true. And, and nobody would ever want to remove that. But, it's just balance. It's fine. But if we, if we go back to what you were saying about being held back by what you've got, what you've got, um, that's, that, that is very true with them. Because if you can't find what you've got, then you might as well not have it. Yeah. Really. Yeah. You might as well just not have it. Um, and then it becomes a kind of, I think one of the, the, the challenges is decision-making, right? I think, and I might be wrong here, but most people that suffer from having, from over-acquiring, it's because they're not very good at making decisions. Yeah. So they'll look at stuff and go, oh, I don't, do, I want, do I want that? I, I don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'll get it just in case it'll come in handy. And then when they got it, 
there's a kind of, I think, guilt comes into it as well. Because you got the thing. You spent money on the thing. Now you're getting rid of the thing. And it's almost like admitting you've made a mistake. And people are very hard on themselves about admitting they've made a mistake. They, they, most people don't like doing it. They, um, it just feels... Well, no, but admitting you've made a mistake in that sense makes you very vulnerable. Yeah. People don't want to feel vulnerable. And But going back to not being able to make decisions, people who fear not being able to make decisions do make them. They just mm. don't acknowledge where they make them. Yeah. And, and the reason why they say they're not good at making decisions is because they are, they don't truly trust themselves. Mm. But if they had a really good look at that as an option, then and learnt how to trust themselves, they would then become better decision makers. So maybe that's a tool that should be worked on is um, more education about decision making. Yeah. Right. So it's not just a random sort of like, oh, yeah, I've got to decide between this and this. Um, it goes back to, is it Benjamin Franklin that does the pros and cons? Where you put in one column, you put all the pros of whatever you're doing, and then the other column, you put the cons, and then you, you sort of weigh it up, whichever is, and you make your decision based. It's a very simple thing. Um, but that, that's kind of quite an old technique of doing it. You know? I, well, I, I, I think, I, I honestly think if we learned a little bit more about where, why we're frightened of ourselves, so that goes right back to the big to the, the thing that we were talking at the beginning. What we've got is good. What we want, actually, we're a bit scared of, maybe. Yeah. And so you say, I want, which creates a gap, which acknowledges that something you haven't got, which makes you feel uncomfortable and makes you feel a little bit niggled or as though you're not doing the right thing. But you can't get there, but you can't see why you can't get there or you'll put lots of reasons in, in your wake. I think a lot of people feel unprepared for, for situations and life. We aren't prepared for situations in life. We're never taught how to deal with bad. We're never taught how to um, handle mm. um, bad news, bad things, negative things. We're only ever told to seek the good things, but we're never told how to handle the negative things. So you're talking about resilience, really, aren't you? You're yes. talking about... Yeah. Yes, and I think so. So a lot of the sort of stuff that gets churned out, but it does work. And I'm, I'm, we're going to have to finish in a minute. But yes, of course. I've, one of the things that um, I said to somebody the other day, which I'd read, uh, it was one of those sort of, you know, five things that you need to do to be happy. And the last thing was to notice, which is part of mindfulness, but it said, notice and be awed, A-W-E-D. Yeah, and. Yeah. So I said to this guy, he said, oh, I haven't really been out in lockdown because of, you know, whatever and whatever, and I've had a really bad time. And and I said, well, just go for a walk. I said, you've got three parks near you because I know where he lives. And I said, just go for a walk in the park, just for going for a walk. I said, but look to be awed. Anyway, he 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 sent me a text and said, I've, I've done my awe walk. So I have to say that's Martin's word. It's not mine. Right. Um, he's done his awe walk. But he said, I didn't tell you what happened after my awe walk. Mm. And he said, I did come back to my flat. And he said, because I'd been noticing things and I'd been out in the fresh air and I'd been looking at beautiful autumn leaves. And he said, the first thing I noticed was my flat was really pongy. So he oh. said, 
right, I want stuff to go. And he said, I filled a bag and got rid of it. And that was the first mm. time he'd done that for months. Wow, so that's really good. all walks work. So on that note, I think yes, well, we'll, we'll sign we'll, off and come and we walk will. again. I think maybe next too. time we could look at um, more about resilience, maybe. Okay, and, let's do uh, that. I'll, I'll find a saying about resilience. And, and, and self-confidence and probably even at a later date, self-compassion, because people yeah, aren't very no, good we need, with... Uh, we, need, we need a big session about self-compassion. self-compassion. Be nice to yourself. Oh, I don't know about that one. Being nice to yourself, that's a bit soft, isn't it? Well, no, it, that needs that needs really looking at, because that's yeah. everybody. That's not just people with hoarding issues. That's no, it isn't. It's everyone, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Especially all, now. <laughs> exactly. We all shy away from it, and we all need it. So. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, until the next time, David, well, thank you for this. Thank you for inviting me along. It's abs- It totally is my pleasure. <laughs>